some cultural programming going on in the news, and the agenda behind the fight over abortion that nobody's talking about. You're listening to the Propaganda Reports at Drive Time News Blast. I'm Brad Binkley. Today's show is going to be a little bit different than usual because I want to address my absence over the past couple of weeks and talk briefly about the show moving forward before hitting a couple of stories that I find interesting, to say the least. But first, there will be a disappearing patron party tonight, Friday, May 20th at 8 p.m., Eastern Time, there will be a disappearing patron party, and a special guest will be joining me, a friend from the film and television industry, an actor. He's a smart guy, lots of fun. I think you guys are going to like him, and maybe we can get some of his insights into what's going on in the entertainment industry lately. Check it out. That will be cool. Either way, we're going to have some fun, have some drinks, and who knows what else. The DPP, for those of you who are not familiar, is our monthly virtual patron party with interactive live chat where we cut loose a little bit, have a few cocktails, usually say some inappropriate things, definitely say inappropriate things in the chats anyway, and have a lot of fun, and then afterwards the video disappears. So check out the DPP tier, the DPP tier at patreon.com slash propaganda report if you'd like to join us. The more the merrier. Okay, so I've been out for a little while, and as some of you know, my dad died a couple of weeks ago. His funeral service was this past Monday. It was it was nice. It was really nice. It was sad, but it was nice to see a lot of people that we haven't seen in a while and to hear the wonderful things that many people had to say about my dad. He was a truly great man, and he will be missed. I had hoped to get a couple of shows up throughout the course of my absence, but I really just I underestimated how much I would be able to do with everything that's been going on the past couple of weeks. You know, my mom died about a year ago. It'll be a year on May 28th. So we lost both of them, both my mom and dad, within the course of the past year. And when my dad died, it really it felt like deja vu in some ways. For instance, it was held at the same building, the visitation service, and there are visitation rooms on the right and left. My mom's was on the right. My dad's was on the left. When I was going into the building to go to my dad's visitation on Monday, I started walking into the room on the right because it felt just like an extension. It felt like yesterday that this had already happened. So it was similar in that way. And in other ways, it it felt different. It's weird. It's hard to explain, but yeah, it's just weird. And we haven't gotten a lot of sleep lately, basically. It it sucks to lose people, you know? It's hard. And I know some of you know that. You feel sad. You miss them. You want to talk to them again. You want to hug them. Sometimes it doesn't even feel real until that moment that it feels very, very real. Those can be very difficult moments. That's when the waterworks come down is in those moments. And the smallest things can can set off a wave of emotions like a jacket sitting on a chair or an appointment written on a calendar that they were supposed to go to but never made it to. I know for me sometimes I will have – I will get excited about something and just instinctually in my head I'll go, oh, I want to go tell them this, and then I will have that realization. You will quickly remember when that happens. I'm not going to go through a sob story all day today for the show. I just wanted to address this because it was on my mind and also because I know that I'm not the only one who is going through this. I'm not, I'm not the only one who has lost somebody that they love recently. And I just wanted to tell you all that my heart goes out to you. It truly does. I know that it's difficult. I know that you know that. It sucks. It's like experiencing the loss of your parents or the loss of anyone that you're close to and that you love. It's like joining an exclusive club that nobody wants to join, yet everyone inevitably will. And... You know, it's just one of those things that you don't really understand at a deep emotional level until 
until it happens to you. And intellectually, we get it. And we feel sad for others when they lose people. But once we experience it, at least for me, it kind of changes your understanding of death at a real, like, at an emotional level. And I believe it deepens the empathy that we feel and can feel for others who lose someone once we ourselves have gone through it. So, again, to anybody who is experiencing it, who has lost somebody, and I know that some of you have, uh, you know, I, I, my heart truly goes out to you. And I would say this through it all, through all the difficulties and the sadness that comes, find reasons to smile. You got to look for reasons to allow yourself to smile and laugh and embrace those moments because I think that that's how we we get out of the difficult times. I think it's important to do that. So look for reasons to smile and embrace them and allow yourself to feel good sometimes. You know, my mom and dad were – they were truly, truly great people, amazing people. And I'm so lucky. I'm so lucky to have had them as parents. I will miss them. I love them very much. One more thing before we move on from talking about death, which I know everybody really loves talking about. Thank you guys for all the, like, seriously, like the really, really kind messages, condolences that you sent me on Twitter, on locals, on Patreon. It's just, I can't even express to you how much I appreciate it. It, it, it makes it makes you feel, it makes me feel supported. It makes me tear up when I read through them at, at the kindness that you all express. It is so, so very, very helpful. It, it truly helps me understand how inspiring or how uplifting just a few kind words from someone to someone who is going through a difficult time can be because you guys helped me a whole lot through this, probably more than you will ever, ever know. In fact, a listener and friend who lives nearby <clears throat> came to my dad's visitation, and I was so surprised to see him there. I'm not going to say his name for privacy purposes, but I was so surprised, and my heart was warmed. My heart was warmed to see him and other people I hadn't seen in a, in a very long time there. And what a cool thing to do. What a really nice, thoughtful thing to do. And I appreciate it. I appreciate the kindness that you all have expressed and the support that you all have given me throughout this time. And I will respond in time to the kind messages you sent once I get to a place where I can read through all of them in one sitting without sobbing like a little baby. Okay, moving on real quick before I do a couple of stories in uh, the show. The show moving forward, as you all know, Monica's not going to be doing the DMB. So obviously the show's not going to be the exact same as it was. It will evolve to play to my strengths. I will still be committed to uncovering the truth to analyzing propaganda, calling out lies, deconstructing news, and trying to peer beneath the surface to uncover what's really going on. All that good stuff, that's not going to change. I'll just be adjusting things based on what seems to work best with an eye towards giving y'all the best possible show using the strengths that I have and the resources that I have as well. You know, as, as you know, me and Monica, we, it was just the two of us. We weren't Ben Shapiro's show or any of the other daily news shows. We didn't have a big staff or any staff, and we did not have a production bu- budget. It was just the two of us figuring it out along the way. Now it's me, and for the time being anyway. So there will be days where I do the show solo, kind of like this one, and there will be days where Cam will jump in, Cam from the Mad Ones, and help me to bring his insights and creativity to the show if he's available. And there might be other days where... There will be short interviews uh, plugged in, and there could be other days where I experiment with short theme segments and stuff like that. This will be a process of me discovering what fits, what you guys dig, that I can do well and reproduce frequently within the resources that we got. So that's the plan 
right now. And I will be resuming the Patreon Zoom roundtable parties and the DPPs. And I will be resuming posting on locals and doing the solo live streams there as well. And I will be continuing to do the DMB live with video and interactive chat on Rockfin, as well as the deep dive deconstructions. And I'll probably do more live stuff there uh, as we move forward, actually, rockfin.com slash propaganda report. So in these next couple of weeks, I'm, um, I'll be getting you regular shows, but I'm still going to be dealing with a lot of stuff that, you know, the stuff you have to deal with after people pass away. So the time of days might fluctuate a little bit, but that will eventually get ironed out. Thank you all for your patience. You seriously are awesome. All right. So there was a story in the news today that really piqued my interest because it looks like there's some subtle cultural programming going on that I found very interesting. Now, the content of the story could very well be leading to a grooming operation that could be uncovered, but I'll talk about that after the cultural programming. The story is out of Pennsylvania. It's about a high school choir teacher who has been arrested for sleeping with a student. The teacher is 26 years old. The student is 17 years old. Now, this sounds like your typical hot-for-teacher story that we hear all the time in the news, but maybe it's not. I'm going to read to you a couple of paragraphs, very short, from this article, and I want you to listen to see if you can catch the little wrinkle to the story. I'm sure that you can. The teacher's name is Orts. Here is the first paragraph I want to read to you. Police say they held interviews with a 17-year-old student involved in the incident who told officers that they considered Orts to be a safe adult whom they trusted and confided in. The student also said the relationship allegedly turned into a romantic one that resulted in sexual activity. All right, now here is the second, not even paragraph, just sentence. Documents say that the student allegedly came to Ortz's residence after she invited them over while her husband was away on a trip. I'll read that one one more time. Documents say that the student allegedly came to Ortz's residence after she invited them over while her husband was away on a trip. Now, that's very interesting to me. When I initially read that first paragraph, I thought that perhaps the writer had maybe accidentally used the wrong pronouns. And then when I read that second sentence there, I realized that the choice of pronouns used by the writer was very intentional. Apparently, according to this article anyway, this kid's preferred pronouns are they, them. Nowhere in this article does it say the student's gender. It only refers to the kid as they, them, or student. Now, the teacher, however, it does say what the teacher's gender is. The teacher is a female. She's 26 years old, and she's good looking. That would certainly be a new twist on an old tale, a hot female teacher sleeping with a non-binary student. That is one I do not believe we have heard yet. It sounds like something that you might hear on a Netflix or CW show. So you read this, and it's like, what's going on here? Nowhere in the article does it clarify this. It just says it and then doesn't comment it or anything, just leaves it there. Well, it doesn't say it. It makes it seem as though the police said it and that they're just reporting it. And it makes it seem as though this was said in a court document and that they are just reporting it. So they aren't the ones responsible for it. But I'm curious because the use of that language was obviously intentional. That's not something that you just say, put out there and move on from. In fact, if what is implied is true, then I'm surprised they're not celebrating this teacher for breaking glass ceilings, being the first hot female teacher to have sex with one of her non-binary students. I mean, this is a triumph for equality, if true. So I wanted to see that document. I tried to find it. I couldn't find it. But I did find other articles. They didn't come up as easily as this article came up because this article which was it was featured on featured on Drudge, it was featured on MSN.com, and it came from a a news outlet called WPXI 
Pittsburgh. So this is the article that was chosen to blast everywhere, and a whole bunch of other MSM outlets picked it up, reproduced it. But this other article tells a different story. Here's what it says, talking about the same story. The student told police that at first she considered her choir teacher to be a safe adult with whom she could talk about personal and relationship issues. That's kind of similar to what the other article said, with the exception of the gender pronoun. The other article, again, it said, police say they held interviews with a 17-year-old student involved in the incident who told officers that they considered Orts to be a safe adult whom they trusted and confided in. This second article goes on to say, police say that the two talked and texted each other in and out of school. Miss Orts invited the girl to her home while her husband was away. So what's going on here? Which, which one should we believe? One, obviously, used gender-neutral pronouns intentionally. There's no doubt about that. The only argument someone can make is that, well, maybe they were trying to protect the identity of the victim, so they decided not to reveal the gender of the victim, which that's not a good argument because they always reveal the gender of the victim in these cases. Another explanation could be that maybe it was written by a computer program, and the computer program did that on its own, and then nobody looked at it, Nobody asked any questions about it, and then it was published to Drudge and broadcast around the country. That's more plausible than the other possible explanation, but also not a great explanation. The answer to which one we should believe is pretty easy because the second article, the one that identifies the victim as a she, also has a video of the sheriff in charge of the investigation calling the victim a girl. They have an actual firsthand source saying that the victim is a female, and yet the article that ends up on Drudge and spread more broadly than this one is an article that does not have that video and that says that the police referred to the victim as they and them, and that a court document referred to the victim as a them. So they were blatantly lying, and yet they're the one that gets promoted most broadly, and it's not going to get removed. It's not going to get called out. You're not going to see a little footnote at the bottom of the page that says, we're sorry, a previous version of this story inaccurately implied that the victim here was non-binary. It's not going to happen because this disinformation is not about Russia. It's not about the mask. It's not about vaccine, and that's the only disinformation that they care about. But this does very much illustrate that they are willing to intentionally lie for the purposes of cultural propaganda, and this is how cultural propaganda works right here. The reason they just said the they, them pronouns without commenting on them is because that's how you normalize it. That's how you condition the people reading it. You just start having everybody who's like an influencer do it. And they will get influencers and various groups who are doing these Zoom calls all the time. They will get them to start doing this if they have not done that already. And then some of their followers will begin to do it as well. Just like they've gotten people to start putting their preferred pronouns in their Twitter bios and putting on screen on Zoom calls what their preferred pronouns are. They want the default way that we address people in society to be they, them. And if you want to be called by a male or a female pronoun, they want you to have to expressly state your preferred pronouns. Otherwise, they're just going to assume that you are they or them and they will address you as such. And they will justify it by saying, look, not everybody in society is male or female. So to assume that they are by using these male and female pronouns, well, that's exclusive, makes people feel small and marginalized, and we must end this cis bigotry. We're going to see more of this, I'm telling you. Oh, yeah, that news outlet, that Drudge Link, the one that used the they, them pronouns, they're owned by Cox Media Group, same group that owns WSB. Found that to be interesting. All right, I'm going to save the other weird things about that story for the XR, the fact that it looks like a grooming operation has been going on. 
up in that area. And now let's talk about abortion, which is something that you should always open with on a first date, by the way. You look great. The atmosphere in here is wonderful. Now let's talk about abortion. More specifically, I want to talk about the reasons why abortion has been put in the spotlight right now. I know we have the leak from the Supreme Court that got everybody up in arms, but I, I hate that story. It's such a PR stunt. It's like a get out the vote campaign effort because that's what it is. I mean, it's a lot of things, but obviously they're trying to activate people to get them ready to vote in the primaries. They do this every two years. Every time an election cycle comes around, there's some divisive polarizing story about abortion that puts it in the spotlight leading up to the election because they need to make sure people get off the couch and they got to make them mad enough to do that. But this time it's something more. It's not just about that. It's something bigger. This time it's the Great Reset in action. It's another experiment to see how well this Great Reset model of governance works in real time. It's just a different issue they're throwing at it. They're throwing these different issues and trying it out, experimenting, seeing how the new leaders of the world, the corporations, are handling it. That's how Klaus and all those douches at the World Economic Forum want the world to be governed after the Great Reset. The corporations leading the way when it comes to solving society's biggest problems. The governments of the world will play a role as well through public-private partnerships, but societal change will be led by the corporations if they have their way because the corporations are not slowed down by the democratic process. So fascism, basically. Klaus talks about this in his newest book, The Great Narrative. I mean, he talks about it all the time, but it, he really talks about it a lot in The Great Narrative. And we have seen this grand rule by corporation experiment play out over the past year and a half or so. Saw it with the vaccines, saw it with Russia, Ukraine. We're seeing it now with the vaccines. The mandate was shot down in court. So some corporations just decided to do it themselves. I mean, I know people who company really wanted to hire, was willing to pay more, even got a big wig involved to get that person the amount of money and the title they wanted, bent over backwards to try and hire someone only to turn right around and rescind the job offer once they realized that this person was not going to get vaccinated. The corporations could do what the government, at least it appears on the surface, could not do. We also saw this play out when the Ukraine war broke out, when all these World Economic Forum affiliated companies made these grand announcements about how they're no longer doing business with Russia. And now we're seeing this play out here around the abortion issue. So the Supreme Court leak happened, and the possibility of Roe v. Wade being overturned was raised. This, according to the World Economic Forum Klaus Schwab frame, demonstrates a failure of government. And therefore, when government fails, it is up to the big corporations to step up and do what's right and solve this problem for society. And what we've seen since is a bunch of corporations announcing policies that are pro-abortion or however you want to describe it. Here's a couple of headlines that started appearing shortly after the abortion news really burst onto the scene. From the New York Times, corporate America doesn't want to talk about abortion, but it may have to. Major companies stay mum on thorny abortion issue for now. And here's an article, this is a more recent article, from U.S. News, this one is titled, Potential End of Roe Abortion Right is the Latest Issue Pitting Companies Against Politicians. And this one spells it out pretty clearly. It talks about which companies have offered benefits to employees who might be affected by a restrictive abortion law in their state. Some of the companies it mentions are Amazon, Apple, HP, and then it goes on to talk about why these corporations are doing this. 
This is the really interesting part, or the really clear part. It says, The moves are part of a broader emphasis by corporations responding to pressures to do more on the environmental, social, and governance front, a trend that accelerated during the coronavirus pandemic. That's it. That's exactly what's going on. And they go on to paint Republican politicians as the villain here. They say that while abortion is the latest divisive issue to pit companies against conservative politicians, it is hardly the only one or likely the last. And then they list the issues that we will see these Great Reset experiments happen with. They say the gamut of issues includes LGBT rights, climate change, restrictions on voting access and education, I mean, these are the same issues that Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum, in his new book, actually, he talks about the corporations need to lead, that these are the major problems that governments can't really deal with. According to their narrative, these big corporations are the heroes. I mean, we actually heard the Salesforce CEO at one point during one of the World Economic Forum panel discussions say that the corporations are the heroes of the pandemic. So they're the good guys. They're leading this fight to not only protect, but to spread progressive values around the world while the Republicans are being painted in this narrative as the enemies trying to stand in the way of all that is good and right in the world, which that's not necessarily true. Of course, it's not true. None of these narratives are actually true, but Republicans, many of them, they contribute to bringing the Great Reset forth as well. But that's the narrative that they're spreading to try and convince people that fascism is the only thing that can protect our democracy from these evil Republicans. I mean, they are literally trying to convince people that the only thing that can protect democracy is fascism. On the abortion front, some companies have made policies. I'll tell you which ones in a minute. But other companies have been resistant to this notion. One company in particular, PlayStation, Sony. And here's what happened with Sony. They initially seemed to take a position where they wanted to embrace the idea that they are a multifaceted company where people can hold different opinions that can all be respected. That was their original position, according to an internal memo that I guess some angry employee leaked and caused a little bit of outrage among other employees and caused pressure to be put on Sony. What happened next is that the CEO of Insomniac Games. Now, Insomniac Games is part of PlayStation Studios, so they are under the umbrella of PlayStation Studios and Sony. They claimed that Insomniac was going to be making a $50,000 donation to the Women's Productive Rights Assistance Project, but that PlayStation Studios would not allow them to make any public statements about abortion or about the donation that they were making, and that if they did make public statements, then there would be consequences. In response to that, Ted Price, this CEO of Insomniac, what he did was he wrote a 60-page document that was apparently filled with employees' wishes for leadership to do better by employees who are directly affected by this abortion issue. And all of this happened in the aftermath of the Supreme Court leak. This is why these statements were being made internally. So since then, things appear to have changed. As it was reported yesterday, Sony will now be matching the donation along with any made by Insomniac Games employees and creating an initiative to offer financial assistance to staff requiring travel for abortion. So that's how they treat these companies that resist, as they try and pressure them in other ways. And what's interesting is that Sony is also not making this public. They're not trying to broadcast this on their Twitter page or anything like that. They're trying to kind of keep it mum, which obviously it's not, because they know that it will turn off some of their 
audience base. But they also know that if they don't do it, they're going to get the other side of it. So they're trying to satisfy the ESG metric that they're being pressured into trying to satisfy while also not ticking off some of their target audience. The problem with that is part of the whole ESG standards is you have to be transparent about the actions that you're taking in order to improve your score. That's my understanding on it, according to the World Economic Forum. Transparency is one of the major, major parts of it because of accountability. So it's like you can't remain silent. You know, it used to be thought to be a virtue if someone did a good deed or something or made a donation to a cause anonymously. Because it's like, oh, that person didn't want credit. They just wanted to do the thing that they feel is nice. In ESG world, bizarro world, these corporations are required to tell everybody what it is that they did. They're required to show publicly which side they are on on all of these issues, these very political issues. They are required to freaking virtue signal. All right, here's what some of these companies are doing when it comes to this abortion issue. Amazon is giving four grand a year in travel expenses for staff members seeking non-life-threatening medical care, including abortions, if the care is not available within 100 miles of where they live. Tesla, they will be providing travel and lodging for those who may need to seek healthcare services that are unavailable in their home state, which is Texas. Citigroup is providing travel expenses. The dating app Bumble, which is also located in Texas, they created a fund supporting the reproductive rights of women and people across the gender spectrum who seek abortions in Texas. Lyft and Uber have created policies as well, as have the Match Group, which is Match.com and several other dating apps like Tinder and OkCupid. And of course, Salesforce has gotten in on the action as well because they say that they stand with all of their women at Salesforce and everywhere. This is a glimpse of what the world will look like after the Great Reset is complete if they are to succeed. This is what Klaus Schwab talks about, his dream, this type of stuff. And these corporations are World Economic Forum connected. So every time one of these issues becomes the center of media attention, politically explosive, divisive. Yes, look and see what legislation is being presented and they're, that they're trying to push through. But if you want to see where the real change might be occurring, where they're really trying to transform society unhindered by those barriers of democracy that slow things down for them, look and see what the biggest corporations in the world are proposing that they do to solve these issues that the media has everybody in a frenzy about. All right, that's the show. Thank you all for listening. Don't forget about the DPP. If you want to join the DPP, the Disappearing Patron Party, you can go to patreon.com slash propaganda report and join up there to jump in and participate with us, have a few drinks, have a good time, and you can find your drive time news blast every weekday afternoon at thepropreport.com or your favorite podcasting platform or the Propaganda Report podcast feed. Again, the shows will be coming back on a regular basis next week. All right. Thank you guys for listening. Have a great rest of your day. A fantastic rest of your day.